there is a, a vacation spot that that uh, me and my family love to go to. We've we've gone to it uh, five times now. It's this little little coastal town um, right outside of Atlantic Beach, and uh, it's quaint and. You know, it has uh, just this cool feel. It's relaxed and laid back, perfect for families. Uh, it's called Newburn, North Carolina. Anybody have heard of Newburn? Yes, I know my, my relatives from North Carolina have heard of that, uh, not too far from them. Newburn, it's a great place, and uh, we've loved going there. Here's the problem, though. Three out of the five times that we've gone, something really bad has happened. Three out of five. Uh, two summers ago uh, was when we had the bad wreck. You guys remember that. You prayed for us. We appreciate that, where our van was totaled as soon as we got there. You know, we made it all the way there, and bam, right as we're on our way to the resort, we get, we get in a wreck, and uh, not the way you want to start off a vacation, you know. Um, it still went great, uh, except for the fact that I almost got struck by lightning, Literally. Not, not joking, it was really close, uh, and you can ask me about that sometime, and I'll, I'll tell you more detail if you care, uh, but it really did happen. And uh, I won't go into all the things, the other times that made it rather negative, and as much as we love going to New Bern, um, by now it's kind of tainted for us a little bit. Like we're wondering, do we really want to go back now uh, because of all the things that have happened just, to, just about every time that we've gone. And you understand what that's like, right? I mean, that happens. Um, you have a restaurant that you really, really love, and it doesn't take much to change your perspective of that favorite restaurant. I mean, one or two really bad experiences, and you're ready to go somewhere else, no matter how much you like it. Uh, the same with uh, a store. You know, you might have a favorite store you like to go to, and then something happens that changes the way you look at that, and you're, you're not even sure if you want to go back, right? We, we do that all the time in life. We understand what that experience is like. And that's why we could be forgiven if we would look at Paul and the way he felt about Philippi and the people of Philippi, the Philippians and the church at Philippi, if he looked at that kind of the same way. Like, we would understand if when Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, he wrote about all the negative he had experienced and said, you know, I, I think it's going to be a while before you, you see me again and before you hear from me again. Um, we, would, we would understand if Paul had bad feelings about the Philippians, uh, considering that when he first came to Philippi, you can read about that in Acts 16, he was going around trying to, to look for avenues for the gospel, and there was this girl that kept following him and Silas around, and she was possessed by an evil spirit, by a demon. And she was telling people's future, and there were people profiting from that. They were making a lot of money from their fortune-telling girl. And Paul just had enough, and he looked at her, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you evil spirit to come out. And so he set her free from this demonic possession and control. But what happened was that she could, of course, no longer predict anybody's future. No, she couldn't tell the fortune anymore. And so the, the people that were profiting from her got really upset. They complained to the powers that be. And long story short, Paul and Silas ended up in prison, and their prison was not like our prison system, all right? Their prison was a, a dungeon, really little more than a sewer, 
uh, all the the sewage of the city would run through where the prison was. It was dark, it was damp, it was cold, it was smelly. And you were chained to all the other prisoners. So you couldn't even move around much. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible set of circumstances. And that's where Paul and Silas found themselves. All after just trying to present the gospel and setting this poor girl free. That was the thanks they got. And rather than... Um, proclaiming and and showing just bitterness and anger, which is what we would expect. It's what I would probably be feeling. Uh, What happened is around midnight, Paul and Silas were worshiping God out loud. They were praying and singing praise songs uh, to God despite the circumstances they found themselves in. God set them free. He rescued them and the other prisoners as well. And the jailer, being so amazed at their attitude, their actions, their testimony, the fact they didn't just run off, they stayed put so as to save his life. Because if prisoners escaped, guess whose life was forfeit? The jailer. And they all stayed put, said, don't, don't do anything to yourself, we're all here. And that just amazed him. And he, the jailer, the Roman jailer, fell down at, at Paul and Silas's feet and said, sirs, tell me, what, what must I do to be saved? And they were able to tell him, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And sure enough, he took them to his household, got them cleaned up, and his whole, the jailer's whole household came to Christ. Incredible, right? But they had been beaten, they had been falsely accused, they had been thrown in jail, and it was a really horrible set of circumstances. And so therefore, we would, we would understand, humanly speaking, if that colored Paul's whole perspective toward the Philippian people. But that wasn't the case at all. It wasn't the case at all. And we know that from him writing this amazing letter known as the Philippians that we have in our copy of God's Word. And that's what our whole series is going to be based around for the next four weeks. We're going to be um, drawing out the theme of joy from this amazing letter. Uh, there's several themes in this little book, but uh, I would say that the major theme of the whole letter is joy. It's all about joy. And so that's where we're going to be. And Paul uh, continues to amaze considering where he was when he wrote this book, this letter, uh, that was all themed around joy. He wrote it from another incarcerated situation. He wrote this letter when he was in Rome under arrest again. He was uh, under house arrest and he was waiting trial and um, probably he expected the trial to end in his death. It didn't happen this time. It would happen eventually. Uh, but that's probably where he was thinking things were headed. So he's under guard in house arrest in Rome, you, you know, under, under less than ideal circumstances. It's not what we would like to find ourselves in. And yet, despite that, despite all the hardship that he had endured up to this point, he is still able to enjoy, write to the people of the Philippians, and encourage them in their joy. It's just incredible. It's incredible, considering all that we know uh, about the, the context and the backstory of Paul. And uh, that, didn't, that didn't sway him. It didn't throw him at all. Here's what Paul had to say in the opening statement of this letter. Philippians 1, and uh, beginning in verse 1. Paul, 
and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, so including the the church leaders, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the way Paul usually starts off his letters. That's his introduction in just about every one of his epistles. Uh, He always wants to remind people that grace is possible. Peace is available, but it's only available and possible in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something for us to remember as well. And verse 3, he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you or for you. And again, remember, remember what he had experienced in Philippi. What was his experience? It wasn't all good. I mean, there was a lot of good that God brought out of, of those things that he went through, but man, there was a lot of bad too. I mean, being arrested for something you didn't really do and you were being accused of something that, you, that wasn't accurate, beaten without cause, thrown in a horrible, horrible prison situation, and then the leaders tried to dismiss them quietly and secretly when they found out they were Roman citizens. Um, and so, I mean, there was just a lot of stuff that, that went on that if it were me, and I think you would agree if it were you, you wouldn't be able to so easily just put all that out of your mind. Like, it would probably still hang around. It would hover, and it would collar the way you looked at that area and those people. I mean, just being honest, that's probably what would happen, and we would have to struggle with that. But that's not what you see from Paul. That's not the sense that you get at all from even just the opening statements here. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Or putting it another way, every time I remember you, every time the Lord brings you to my mind, I'm just full of, of joy and I'm full of giving thanks to God for you. Not a single thing about all the negative that took place. You, you see that? You're catching that? He, he's just full of, of joy and, and positivity here. He says, every time God brings you to mind, I just thank Him for you. I thank Him for you. And so what we see just in these opening statements here from Paul uh, and the reason why he is able to not dwell on the negative past experience, and rather he's able to, to focus on just the positive and all that is good, is because Paul understood a very important fact that we need to understand, that we need to remember. And that's that joy isn't tied to circumstances. It's anchored to Christ. That is so important for us to understand. Um, happiness is often what we confuse for joy. And often our pursuit of joy is really us pursuing happiness instead. And happiness gets carried away back and forth just like the tide. It comes and it goes like the tide does. It, it's fleeting. It's not something that is fixed. Uh, It's very temporary, and it depends on the circumstances that you're in. So if your circumstances are great and everything is going well for you, then yeah, you can be happy, right? And we all want to be happy, and we, we chase after that feeling, but the key word is feeling. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is emotion. And emotion gets driven 
by circumstance. Joy, by a a great contrast, is fixed. It's constant. It's not dependent on or at the mercy of circumstances. It's not tied to circumstances at all. Rather, it's anchored to Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what joy is. Paul understood that. We need to understand that. We need to remember that. We need to pursue joy, which is truly immovable for the believer. Paul also understood that joy isn't a magic wand that just makes difficult circumstances disappear. That's not what joy does. It doesn't do that at all. Joy doesn't minimize hardship at all. It doesn't say, this isn't a a difficult situation. Joy doesn't pretend that uh, negative circumstances are negative. Joy doesn't try to uh, just kind of pull the wool over reality. That's not what joy does. Uh, It doesn't minimize that. Rather, it provides hope in the midst of it. Joy in the Lord and from the Lord, provides us with hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. It's not a magic wand to try to just make it all disappear. Um, Joy, in fact, doesn't ever guarantee that your circumstances will change. Now, I mean, that's something to think about, right? So many times I think that we, we have this concept of joy that if I'm just joyful enough, then my circumstances will just automatically change to match the joy. That's not always the case. That's never guaranteed. Uh, Many, many times, Paul's circumstances didn't change at all. Sometimes they did, but many times they didn't. And uh, you can look all throughout history and all throughout the New Testament specifically, and you can see that believers in Christ often spent their entire lives in very, very bad circumstances. And that's the same for uh, believers all over the world today. Uh, Circumstances may still be rough. There's no guarantee that there's any one thing that's going to change that. What joy does is, is it looks past it and it says, there's still hope possible. There's still purpose in this. And that in the midst of of hardship, you can get through it. That's what joy says. That's what joy provides. That's what joy does. Joy sustains the soul, and it outlasts sorrow. See, once again, it doesn't minimize any of that. And that's that's really encouraging for me because, like you, um, I've gone through rough circumstances in life and difficult things and, and hardship. And if it weren't for the joy that is possible only in the Lord Jesus, then there would truly be no hope at all. Um, because there's, there's very little when you're under the weight of the negative parts of life. There's very little that you can look to and and reach for that will sustain your soul. Very little does that. Joy does. Joy sustains your very soul in the midst of of soul-crushing circumstances. It sustains it, and it outlasts sorrow. There will be sorrow. And it's okay to, to admit that. It's okay to even embrace sorrow. 
What's not okay is to allow yourself as a believer in Christ to be defeated by sorrow. That's what's not okay. And thankfully, we don't have to be. That's the really good news. We don't have to be defeated by difficulty. We don't have to be defeated by sorrow um, because of the joy that is available to us in and through Christ. And, you know, I know some of you have gone through a lot this year. You've gone through a lot. Um, Externally, internally, uh, many of you have had very rough days. And, I mean, let's just face it, 2020 has not been um, a year that is easy to find joy in. I think we can all admit that and agree with that. 2020 has been a rough year. Uh, It's been full of a lot of hardship, a lot of challenges. But none of that means that joy has suddenly evaporated. None of it means that joy isn't as real as it always has been. None of that means joy is not still as powerful as as it always has been. It is. It is. And it can sustain the soul and it can outlast sorrow. For the Christian... For the Christian, joy is always available. It's always available. But that doesn't mean that it's automatic. Joy is always available for you, Christian. If you're in Christ today, if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then His powerful, all-surpassing joy is available to you every single moment. But that does not mean it's just an automatic thing. Sometimes it it will be. Uh, Praise God by the work of the Spirit. Sometimes He will just fill your heart and your mind with joy without you even really having to pursue it. But a lot of times it is not an automatic thing. Um, It's something that you actually have to pursue, that you actually have to go after. Um, Being joyful then, being a joyful person, is about choosing. That's the key word. It's about choosing to respond to external circumstances with internal peace and hope. That's what joy, being joyful is about. It's choosing to respond a certain way. It's choosing to respond to the circumstances around you, to external things around you with an internal peace and hope. It's choosing to embrace what is available to you all the time because of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And many times, it's not just choosing, it's fighting for joy. Many, many times, it's a fight. It's not just something, I'm going to choose to be joyful and that's the end of it. I'm just going to alter my perspective a little bit. Many, many times, it's a battle. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where there's so many things going on around you, so many things coming at you, so many things in your heart and your mind that you're internally struggling with, that it's not enough just to kind of flip a switch in your head and choose joy. Many times you've got to fight tooth and nail for it. And I think most of us can, can identify with that. I think most of us can say, yeah, that's, that's been an experience for me for sure. And what I have found, uh, even recently, personally, for me, though it is many times a fight, an exhausting fight for joy, I'm starting to come around to this way of looking at it, that I am 
far more tired about the lack of joy that I often have than I ever am being tired in the fight for joy. In other words, what God has done in my life, um, even recently, just, I mean, this year, but even over the last couple months, um, what He is, is doing in, in me, I believe, is getting me to the place where I desire true joy, the joy we're talking about right now. Not happiness, not the, the fleeting emotion that comes and goes, but that fixed joy that He offers. He's, he's causing me to desire that and want that so much that I'm willing to fight for it as exhausting as the fight might be. Does that make sense? And that's where I want to encourage you to get to. That's my encouragement for you this morning, is have that type of of mindset. Be so tired at the lack of joy in your life that you're willing to fight tooth and nail for it, to get it. And, And here's the other good part of that. As you fight for joy, you're not going to fight alone. Rather, you have the Spirit of God with all of His power in you fighting for you as well. So even the fight for joy, it's not just up to you alone. You're not alone in that fight. Uh, You have the greatest warrior that there ever is, God Himself, in you if you're a believer, fighting with you and fighting for you. But it, it is a fight many times, and it's certainly a choice it's a choice that we have to make. It's a, it's a perspective shift. It's where we see all that's going on around us and all the turmoil in us, and we don't try to pretend like it's not there. We don't try to pretend like that's not so. We can admit, yeah, this is hard. We can acknowledge these are tough days, and you can be honest about it, but not defeated by it. That's what joy offers, and joy is available to you, believer, every single moment because of Christ. See, we can do this. We can, we can have this perspective. We can have this mindset. We can have this attitude. We can fight in these ways. And we can live in joy as joyful people. We can do that because of Christ. All because of Christ. Because He is the source of joy. He's the, the actual source of all joy. And we can do that Also, as I already said, by the Holy Spirit in us, because He's the conduit of joy. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus, He's the source of it, and the Spirit of God is the conduit of joy. He's the one that carries the joy of the Lord into our hearts and into our minds and out through our lives. John 15, 11, the Lord Jesus said this to His disciples. This is very, very close to Him going to the cross, uh, a place absent of joy if there ever was one. Right before He went to the cross and suffered all that He did, here's what He said to them, "...these things I have spoken to you, that my joy..." Remember, He's the source of joy. "...that my joy may be in you, and that, as a result of that, that your joy may be full." And that full, that word there that Jesus used, it it means overflowing. It doesn't mean just up to a certain point and stop. It means flowing over. 
Just this, this flood of perpetual joy. Jesus said, that's, that's why I've told you what I've, I've said. That's why I've given you my words. Is so that, that as you hear from me and listen to me and actually absorb what I'm saying to you, my joy will be in you and you're going to find just an overflowing source of joy in your life. And the first part of Galatians 5.22 it's a great chapter of Scripture, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and right there at the beginning, um, the Apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he goes right in and he says, joy. Joy is also right there. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And right after love is it's joy. And then there's a lot of other great things listed, but joy is right there at the top of that list. The fruit of the Spirit the result of the Spirit indwelling you and working in you is and should be joy. Joy. Joy that you're not going to be able to find in any other person or thing comparatively. Um, I mean, we have things in our lives and sources of joy, right? Uh, I hope that your family is a great source of joy for you. Uh, I hope that there's a lot of realization just about life, uh, as hard as it might be. There's a lot of realization if you'll just look that you can say, oh yeah, that, man, there's a source of joy and there's a source of joy. But no matter what other sources of joy you might be able to have in this life, nothing is going to compare. Nothing will ever compare to the source of joy you have in your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing will ever be uh, able to give you as much joy as the Holy Spirit will be able to. So the Holy Spirit, I said, He's a conduit of joy, carrying the joy of Christ into your life and you know, into your mind, into your heart, into your spirit. But it's, it's a lot more practical than, than just knowing that. I mean, it's great to know that He's the conduit of joy for us, but what does that actually look like? What's that actually mean for us? And thankfully, we can see even in just this opening part of Paul's letter to the Philippians, some specific things, some very specific things that the Holy Spirit uses to produce that fruit of joy in our lives. Uh, look with me back at Philippians 1, and uh, we'll pick up at verse 3 again, where we left off a few moments ago. He said, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, and then verse 4, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. So God brings you to my mind. I thank Him for you. And then um, I, I pray for you with joy every time I, I pray for you. I, just, I, I pray full of all this joy for you and about you. Why does He do that? Why is He able to have such joy as He thinks and about and as He prays for the Philippians? He tells us, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he says in verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So in these few little verses here, uh, we see some very specific things that the Holy Spirit, as the conduit of joy from the Lord Jesus, who is the source of joy, actually brings into our lives, that He uses to produce that fruit of joy. And 
the very first thing that we notice, the specific thing that God uses, is prayer. Prayer. He said in verse 4, Paul said um, that I always pray with joy for all of you in my every prayer. And that's something that's not just exclusive for Paul. It's not just Paul that can experience joy from praying for one another. We too should be able to, church, experience joy as we pray for one another. That should, that should be part of our, of our experience. And so here's a question for you. When certain people come to your mind, what is your first reaction? When certain people come to your mind, whether that's God bringing them to your mind or something else, when you have those people, (laughs) you know what I mean by that? Those people. We've all got those people. When, When those people and certain people and specific people come to your mind, what is your first, your default reaction in your mind? Is it thankfulness and thanksgiving, like Paul said, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you? Or is it, oh, oh. I mean, is it, you know, like you just ate something really bitter? Or is it like you ate something really sweet? Uh, that's a good question to ask and to consider. When, when certain people come to my mind, am I, oh, or, oh. It's a good question to ask ourselves. And And here's the other question. When God prompts you and leads you to start praying for someone specifically, which I would hope that's been your experience at some point. Uh, I mean, it it certainly is something that happens to me very frequently where uh, I'll be doing something, you know, driving along, doing something uh, unrelated to an individual, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God will bring someone to mind and more than just bringing them to mind, actually impress upon me, I need to pray for this person. And, you know, I don't even know why or, or what I should be necessarily even praying about, but it happens. So my question is twofold. One, are you obedient to that when that happens, or do you just dismiss it and go about the rest of your day? Uh, and if you acknowledge it, how do you pray for that person? Are you praying with thanksgiving? Are you praying with joy? For that person, uh, that's what should mark our prayer for one another. As we pray for one another, as we think about one another, uh, what should be inhabiting those prayers and those thoughts for one another is joy. That's what should be occupying the way we think about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what should mark our prayers for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Joy. Joy. Several years ago, uh, there was a, a friend of mine, and we were close, close friends from just about nursery all the way on through high school and beyond. And, uh, I mean, we were just inseparable, had a strong bond. Well, about senior year, uh, this person started making really bad choices and uh, uh, just let some, some very bad influences in their lives, and they started to just really change, to become someone else entirely. And that carried on and unfortunately worsened as they started college and uh, just rough, rough stuff. And the problem 
was certainly not just with them. It became clear pretty quickly that the problem was with me about them. And I realized then, what I've been reminded of since, is that we can all play the Pharisee remarkably well. And that we are all, by default, Pharisaical. I mean, we we just are. Uh, It's so easy, as believers who brought nothing of value to Christ, brought only our sin, and, and knowing that we can still turn around and so easily and harshly judge everyone else around us. Isn't it a remarkable? I mean, sad, but remarkable. And that's what happened in my life. I mean, I, I just turned my back on my friend. I was critical of him. I was hostile toward him. I was judgmental. And God, I mean, just absolutely ran me over like a semi with that. Hit me hard with where my heart was. And he started working on me and leading me to start to pray for my friend. And you know what I found out pretty quickly? You cannot stay bitter toward someone that you are sincerely praying for. It just doesn't work. God doesn't let it work. <laughs> if, if you are genuinely and in love and in grace praying for someone, it is impossible for you to stay bitter towards them or angry at them. It just it can't, it can't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And so, praise God, what started to happen is all that judgment and bitterness and harshness started to lift off away from my heart, my soul, and my spirit. And in place was love and genuine concern and a joy over them again. And, and that led to a complete restoration of our relationship. And we still talk, still touch base, and uh, it's wonderful. And so I want to encourage you, church, be open and even asking for God to lay people on your mind and put them in your heart. And, and let's go a little bit more specific, and let's get a little bit more brave. And actually, let's start asking God to place people on our minds and in our hearts and lead us to pray for that we have to admit and acknowledge that we don't particularly like in the moment. Let's actually ask God to start putting people on our minds and hearts that we have something against. And, and see, just wait and see what happens in your heart and the change that will take place as you do that, if you will be obedient to Him doing that. Uh, it, it's a remarkable experience, and I really encourage that for all of us. Um, speaking of prayer, there is... Um, in your bulletin, you, you hopefully saw it. There's a, a little um, URL. There's a website address, a link um, that is, uh, is about prayer. And uh, it's there, right there on the screen. Yeah, it says uh, wvfbc.org, uh, pray for me. Um, and I think there may be a QR code in the bulletin. Don't quote me on that. Uh, there may not be. Um, but uh, that's, that's what was on our cards that we handed out just last Saturday at Trunk Retreat. We had, I think, like 250 uh, kids and families here, and as they left, 
we were able to hand them information about our church, but not just information about our church. At the bottom was uh, that QR code where they can just put their, uh, their camera on their smartphone over that, and it takes them to that link. And that link is uh, to a form where there is uh, spaces for people to put their prayer requests that we will check and then pray for as a church. Isn't that a great, great opportunity? Um, so many people were appreciative of that, and uh, they haven't been able to use that yet. Hopefully they will, uh, and we'll see people starting to respond to that. But I, I mention that because I want you uh, not only to use that yourselves, um, but let others know about it. Tell, tell your coworkers, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbors uh, that we have this opportunity, we have this, um, this very specific ministry that we're launching to where we as a church pray for the, the prayer needs and requests of our surrounding community. And as we pray for them, you know what's going to happen? It's going to open the door for a relationship. We're going to actually be able to connect with these people more. That's certainly my prayer, and that's what I believe will happen. And um, I think even beyond that, we're going to be able to launch uh, kind of a um, around-the-clock prayer ministry. More on that later. We're still working on details, but that's what my vision is. I want to see us take this further and, and actually have people specifically signed up as, as part of a prayer team where we, we take shifts all day long, all throughout the week, and we are praying about the, the requests that come in through this, this opportunity and through this outreach. And uh, another thing about prayer, we, we meet every Wednesday. We have a men's prayer group and we have a women's prayer group. Uh, men, we meet right there by the window in the back on this side, and the women meet out there in the foyer. And uh, I just have to tell you, not just because I'm the pastor, but as one who participates in that, we have such great times of prayer together. I mean, powerful, powerful, encouraging times of prayer. There is something special about believers coming together in prayer. There's, just, there's a power there. Um, Jesus himself promised that. He said, where, where only two or three gather in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so when you've got people who are of um, the same purpose, who have the same spirit, interceding for all of us as we pray, there's something special that happens. And so I just want to encourage you, um, make, make a point. Come out, join us on Wednesdays as we pray. We pray for a variety of things, uh, and that's really all we do. The focus is, is all on prayer, uh, and, and so, so much happens there. And I just want to make you aware of that. Uh, Seven o'clock on Wednesdays, men and women, everybody's welcome to come out for that. But praying for one another, that is a, a huge source of joy that we're able to have, just like Paul experienced. Uh, the other thing that we see specifically uh, that happens that God uses, the Holy Spirit specifically uses to bring joy into our lives uh, is partnership in the gospel. And that's as recipients of it and as messengers of it. So once we receive the gospel and, and we, we surrender to that gospel, we receive it, then we also become messengers of it. That's what Paul said in verse 5. He said, I, I pray with joy for all of you in my every prayer. I have joy over you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he means from the very first moment you received the gospel, you became a partner in the gospel, 
And then you, you became with me a co-laborer, a co-messenger of that gospel. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors of Christ. We are the messengers and the instruments of reconciliation that God uses to reconcile other people to Himself. Once we are reconciled to God, He uses us to go out and bring others to that reconciliation. And so there is great joy in partnering in the gospel. We need to remember that, church. We get so hung up on so many things. We get caught up in so many things, so distracted. What we need to come back to and and remember is that as believers in Christ, and specifically as part of this local assembly, this one right here, we are to be partners in the gospel together. We are to be messengers together of what we individually have received. And as we do that in a variety of ways, all the different avenues of doing that in this ministry that we have We will truly know what joy is. We'll experience it. We'll experience it. And then last but not least, the source of joy that the Holy Spirit uses and brings into our lives is God's continual sanctifying work until Jesus returns. Verse 6, Paul said, I am sure of this, and you need to be sure of this too, believer, I am sure of this, that He who started a good work in you, which is the Holy Spirit, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's until the return of Christ. And that, my friends, is absolutely a source of great joy for us. Knowing that um, our sanctification, our becoming more and more like Jesus, who is the source of joy, it's not up to us. It's not dependent on on what I do or or don't do. And the same for you. No, the, the work of sanctification, of being more and more like Jesus, we participate in it, we yield to it, we choose it, but it's not up to us. It's up to the power of the Holy Spirit in us who will be faithful to, to bring everything uh, in place in our lives that, that is needed and to bring us to the point of absolute completion and maturity in Christ Jesus. So these are our very specific sources of joy. And they were not unique to Paul. They were not unique to the Philippian believers. They are available to every single one of you. And all of this should absolutely define every one of us. We should be defined by all these things. So may that be true of us. And as we go forward in this study, uh, may we just uncover more and more, and, uh, and may our joy just continue to increase and increase and increase. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what we were able to see as we started off this study um, through what Paul reminded us of and, and uh, ultimately, originally, what he reminded the Philippian believers of. And thank You that uh, what was Paul's experience... Um, as he thought of of the Philippian church and as he prayed for them and the experience of joy that he had and the the joy that uh, they were able to have, thank you that it's available to us. Thank you that real and lasting joy is constantly available to us, all because of your Son, who is the source of joy, all by your Spirit, the conduit of joy. Help us to 
openly, eagerly receive all that He has for us. Help us to partner with Him, to yield to to the work of, of joy that He wants to do in our lives. May joy, the joy of the Lord, may that define our lives. May we all be so tired of not having joy that we are willing to fight for it no matter how tiring that fight might be. And I pray that you'd keep working in each of us individually. May we be individuals, people of joy, and so that when we come together as an assembly, we would truly be a body of joy. May that be true of us and for us, I pray. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.